everybody. Welcome back to The Big Show. This is As Lutheran As It Gets, and we are your hosts, Pastor Christopher Gillespie. I'm getting my Lent on. I think, is and that, I is that the right Pastor expression? I don't know. Donovan Riley, get Lented. <laughs> happy Lenting. <laughs> there we go, happy Lenting. <laughs> Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy steadfast love. A true and penitent heart sees nothing but its sin and misery of conscience. He who still finds counsel, any counsel, and help in himself cannot, in all earnestness, speak these words. For he is not yet altogether miserable, but feels some comfort in himself, apart from God's mercy. The sense, then, is this. O God, no man or creature can help or comfort me so great is my misery. For my affliction is not bodily or temporal. Thou alone, therefore, who art God and eternal, canst help me. Have mercy on me, for without thy mercy all things are terrible and bitter to me. That is from Dr. Martin Luther's commentary on Psalm 51, which you can find in Luther's Works, Volume 14, mm-hmm. beginning on page 165, 166. Right. These are translation from the 1525 uh, revised edition of what he originally published in 1517. Uh, and then he went back and did a new version, which, uh, you know, He's like George Lucas of the of his uh, biblical interpretation. Constantly editing. <laughs> That's right. Well, in this case, in very particular, what does he say in his preface? Among my first booklets, I also published at that time, 1517, um, the seven penitential psalms with an exposition. And although I still do not find anything wrong in it, yet I often miss the meaning of the text, <laughs> which is great. I, I, everything I said was true, but I really didn't get the point, right? <laughs> this usually happens to all teachers at their first attempt. It was so with the venerable Holy Fathers, who, as St. Augustine admits about himself, daily improved in writing and teaching. So also this little book was acceptable and good enough at the time, because nothing better was at hand. Now, however, since the gospel has reached high noon and is shining brightly, and I also have made some progress in the meantime, uh, I considered it good to publish the work again, but improved and based more accurately on the right text. I commend all my readers to the grace of God. Amen. By the right text, I think he means by his uh, translations, right? His translation of the Rather Hebrew, than using right. Jerome, yeah. Which in and of itself, he translated and edited and updated and tweaked for 12 years. <laughs> right, right. Uh, oh, mentioning Jerome, of course. Um, Jerome is very hmm, uh, obvious sometimes, intentionally uh, misleading in his translation. Yeah, uh, right. Well, I shouldn't say misleading. That. That's that's motive. He I don't know. He doesn't that, get it right. He just doesn't get it right. Dramatically, I mean, he's in a context, so he'll bring uh, penance in place of what he'll he'll impart penance to the to the text. Right. It's Instead of there. metanoia, he'll he'll translate that as penotentia. Oh, right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, talking about repentance. And instead of be repented, it'll be translated as do penance. He'll take a passive verb and turn it into an active verb. Right. Exactly. So Luther now is revising. Uh, Based off of um, his translation of, of the uh, Masoretic text, right? So, right. Wow. And as you noted, this is one of the penitential psalms. And as we record this podcast in the year of our Lord, 2019, it is the first week in the season of Lent. Yeah, it'll come out this week. So that's good. Right, right on time. 
And therefore, we, we thought it would be fun to dive into Luther's comments on these historical, traditional, penitential psalms. Yeah. Yeah, and Psalm 51 is uh, David's psalm. This is post-Bathsheba and Correct. the death of Uriah, uh, mm-hmm. her, her husband, so at David's hand. So he's and a the little confrontation with Nathan. Yeah. So, oh, actually, yeah, post Nathan too. So he's a little uh, conscience stricken. We'll put it right. And so the what I appreciate most about this psalm, even above, I think his other penitential commentaries, is that he dives into the nature of not only the relation of us sinners to most holy and righteous God, but mm-hmm. also the true meaning of penance. And humility, mercy, confession, sin, in a very short amount of time. This goes from 166 to about 176, yeah, 175. Mm-hmm. So in just 10 pages, a little under 10 pages, you can get a really accurate understanding, clear understanding of where Luther is coming from in his teachings. And as you also said, this is him acknowledging, yeah, there wasn't anything terribly wrong about anything I said before. It was solid, but, yeah. you know, in the intervening years, I've learned some things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one is that I missed the point. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm not saying it's wrong, but I may have missed the point. Uh, I like that. I'm going <laughs> to use that from now on. <laughs> well, and the other idea about development, I mean, this is important too, to recognize sure. that, um, you know, I mean, you and I have talked about this on even on the show, that, that we're not the same pastor we that we were right. maybe even, you know, a year ago or three years ago, five right. years ago, especially. Uh, right. There, there is development. There's change, not change of, um, necessarily change of heart. There's progress, hopefully, rather than regress. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd say we still confess the same faith, but the way that we confess it uh, has been, mm-hmm. you know, honed and refined and um, not, we're not... Yeah, we're seasoned. Just, yeah, getting rid of maybe some of the... Uh, oh, Filler. Yeah, filler. That's the word. <laughs> the baggage. Well, I know, and you know this as fathers too, that when it comes time to explain a matter of doctrine, something from the catechism to our mm-hmm. children, especially when they're little, we find out quickly whether or not we actually know what we're talking about too. Because as many have said in the past, the longer it takes you to answer a question, that is usually a sign that you don't know the answer. Yeah, think about how Luther does that in the catechism um, right. with the sacrament. You know, he says the main thing in the sacrament is this, right? And and which is really helpful because yes, he's saying there are other things related to the sacrament that I could teach you, but this is the thing, right? It's right. given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. That that's what I really want you to latch on to <laughs> when you hear right. these words. We could talk about a lot of other things like communion fellowship and receiving it, you know, to your hurt and harm and how why that happens mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. But but. For you right now, uh, my child, right, father to yes. his children, this this is the main thing. I can't remember if we've discussed this on air before, but I was using this a similar example last week. The most difficult thing to find, the most difficult teacher to find in a martial arts academy is someone to teach the kids. Mm, yeah, And this is a, a good example that we had a, a great teacher. He's a father himself of a one-year-old though. And he would teach the children ages six through 12. He would teach them a technique and he would teach the technique so that there were nine or 10 or 12 or 16 steps. Oh my. And 
Right. And he meant well, and he was a good teacher and he was very adept at explaining himself and, and teaching. But in his mind, every single point that he taught was the most important point for learning this technique. And how do you hold and all that intention, right? Right. Especially with a six-year-old versus my head instructor, my black belt, who has three children, one on the way. And he said, hey, just teach them the basics of the technique, what they must know in order to pull off this technique. And that is at most three steps. Yeah. Because they can't retain, nor will they remember more. But as they get older, they will come to you and ask, okay, what else is there to this? Mm-hmm. Is there something I'm missing? Is there something else I need to learn? Right. What's what's the the progress? There's a development. There's a new evolution there that happens. And I would say if there's any area where I would say there's progress with us as pastors, it's the same way is that when we're little, we just need the meat. Just give me the meat. That's all I yeah. need. Yeah. And, and I mentioned catechism. I mean, six chief parts, right? Right. Exactly. And as you, yeah, as you mature or as you become more comfortable with the material, you begin to ask more questions, sometimes more profound questions, sometimes. What does this mean? What benefits does baptism right. give? Yeah. And then you can go to the large catechism, the Lutheran confessions. You can dive into Luther's works and the works of other theologians, and you can broaden your base. But are you doing that in service to the thing? Mm-hmm. Or are you getting lost in the in the data, so that all of a sudden now everything is the most important thing? Yeah, I'm thinking about um, you know the way that you know say Acts two forty two describes the church, right? That they committed mm-hmm. themselves to the apostles' doctrine of the fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. You're like, right, um, right. That's it. Well, but but what about <laughs> what about preserving the historic uh, liturgy or something? Right. You're mm-hmm. like, mm, no, actually, just the prayers. What prayers? Well, the right. prayers that they prayed. Uh, which actually were synagogue prayers, probably, and temple prayers. Yes. Um, uh, but the apostles' doctrine. Well, but not the apostles' practice. Actually, he doesn't say that, does he? Yeah. So like, no. Um, yeah, maybe you can attach that. But but it's just too simple. And it seems like, oh, but we have to add a level of complexity to that. Um, yeah, right. Hmm, why? So Luther's doing that, right, with the Psalms. It's just like, let's get yes, to the absolutely. point. Let's get to the point. Yes. <laughs> like this right. podcast. Let's get, hey, when are you guys going to actually get back to the to the text tune in next episode <laughs> after we <laughs> when Riley rant and, and ramble get to the point yeah. so verse 1 psalm 51 have mercy on me o god according to thy steadfast love or literally translated according to your faithful loving kindness that word there's chesed in the hebrew which is the most used word to describe god's personality mm-hmm. in the scriptures and this is i think probably one of the most if you don't know any other words in hebrew learn chesed it's C-H-E-S-E-D when it's transliterated. Transliterated. It, chesed. Yeah. And it means faithful loving kindness. It's sometimes translated as compassion or mercy or here steadfast love. Mm-hmm. But as I said, it is the most often used word in scripture to describe God's person. And it's really only attached to him. Right? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Not, not our love for one another. Um, no, no, no. <laughs> But um, I, the reason that I, I follow the theological word book of the Old Testament in that to really encapsulate the totality of the word and also the theology that the freight that is carried in that word, it is God's faithfulness that mm-hmm. produces faith. It is God's love that produces selfless, self-giving love. And it is God's kindness, which then turns us toward our neighbor in kindness. Yeah. And so... But here, steadfast. And mercy as well. Right. right? Absolutely. Kindness, mercy. 
So a true and penitent heart, Dr. Luther writes, sees nothing but its sin and misery of conscience. And in case we haven't covered this in a while, Dr. Luther, by conscience, does not mean the postmodern or modern understanding of conscience as the yes or no of your internal dialogue, Mm -hmm. an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other. Jiminy Cricket Cricket is the perfect example. He means, what is your sense of standing in relation to God and your neighbor? These are relational terms. These are relational understandings of this word. And that ultimately then conscience is what accuses or excuses us before the throne of God, as Paul says in Romans. So, by heart, we usually mean conscience, biblically hmm, speaking, right. I would say. And, and therefore, and, yeah. And you can uh, you can have a good conscience or a bad conscience, but it's not, right. again, um, good or bad by your own determination, but actually no. according to this external evaluation of yes. God's word, right? Yeah. He, good and bad as a moral <laughs> judgment, a moral category, seeks to confuse the fact that that's original sin. To be like God, knowing good and evil. I would say it this way: uh, you know, a good conscience, if you wanted to use that term, means a well-informed conscience, right? Informed sure. by God's word. Whereas a bad conscience is one that is not informed by God's word, but by external or uh, internal navel like gazing. It. Yeah, right. exactly. Right. You you say, you know, this is how I feel about this. Well, right. You know, honestly, I really don't care how you feel about right. it. What right. What does God say about it? Right? Think of it this way: practically speaking, if you love someone but they don't love you. Mm. And you demand that they stay in the relationship with you because you still love them and you want to hold on to that relationship. It, that doesn't matter. <laughs> it it doesn't matter because the other person gets a vote. That's right. And it's not about right or wrong, good or evil. It's about the state of the relationship. And if inherently we it's were, more about what you want, then that's actually right. selfishness, right? Right. And so a good conscience to your point is, has God spoken to you mm-hmm. in such a way that you are in a place, in a state where you are at peace with God. Mm-hmm. And if you're at peace with God, then you can be at peace with your neighbor. Even yeah. if your neighbor says, I don't want to be in a relationship with you anymore. Right. right. That's hard. But, but it, it does. And it goes to the heart of our identity as Christians, which is our baptismal identity. That is that we were baptized into Jesus's death and resurrection, all our Romans 6. So Here, our good conscience comes through death. And resurrection. And here specifically, um, Luther draws attention to the way that David uh, recognizes that his conscience, he's misinformed his conscience by his own actions, by his own thoughts. Right, right. right. I mean, he's justified, he's self-justified himself. Yes. Yeah. And and that's actually uh, a guilty conscience. I mean, that's a conscience that's been misinformed. Right. Mm -hmm. If we can just get everything tied up before nine months (laughs) is, is his past, then everything should be fine. Yeah, we can straighten this out, right? I mean, there, there's something here. Right. And you'll notice God does not send Nathan until the ninth month. And then he sends Nathan. So David actually has nine months to repent. And he's in the temple every day and doing his thing every day. And he allows the lie to perpetuate itself every day for you three mean, You mean trimester. Uh, the law increases trespasses? <laughs> something like that. It gets worse? <laughs> right? Yeah, it does. So, a true and penitent, a true and repentant heart sees nothing but its own sin and misery of conscience. Mm -hmm. Again, I repeat, a repentant person sees nothing but his own sin and misery. There's Luther going with his exclusive particles again. I know, right? Nothing alone. He who still finds any counsel and help in himself cannot in all earnestness speak these words. 
because he is not yet altogether miserable, but feels some comfort in himself apart from God's mercy. Right. And their um, contrast of miserable against mercy, uh, really the same word, right? Well, again, in Hebrew, yeah, you would say that's still hesed. You know, to be miserable is to to recognize that you are in need of mercy, right? Right. Uh, whereas I think most people think, oh, it just means that you're just in bad shape. Well, mm. yeah, that's true, um, <laughs> but it's it's deeper than that. It's it's to right. recognize your depravity. We might say uh, theologically, right? We want to be rehabbed. Yeah. To your point, we want to be rehabbed. That is, we don't want to have to die. We just want a better life versus the apparatus by which God soothes our conscience, which is to turn us toward his word in such a way that we recognize we're dead in and of ourselves Mm. and condemned and godless. And yet, as we'll get into when we get to verse four, God restores that relationship to us that we, of our own will, of our own volition, we turn our back on God. And therefore, we find ourselves like David in need of mercy, we're Mm -hmm. miserable, because we ask, where has God gone? Why has he abandoned me? When in reality, we turned around and we walked away from God's face. Right. He was there with his mercy um, the whole time, uh, and we turned our back to that. Yes. It makes me think of uh, character, the main character on the, that Amazon show, Prime, Amazon Prime show, uh, Patriot. You know, And people come and ask him all mm, the time, yes. how are you doing? And he's like, pretty good. And his life's really miserable. <laughs> I mean, truly. I mean, he needs right. help. And, and yet he keeps just telling right. people, you know, he's lost, he's had three front teeth extracted at one point. And, and he just says to him, pretty good. And you're like, that's a lie. Why are you lying to yourself? I mean, it's a coping strategy, I suppose. But um, no, you actually need help. And there's people here willing to help you. And yet you keep turning your back to that and trying to just, right. you know, handle things on your own. Um, and it's really pity, uh, pitiable, I guess, <laughs> from the outside. It's like, right. wow, wow. I mean, how could you just not accept it, you know? And right. that's really the point of, this, of the show, if you watch it, uh, is coming to accept help eventually. <laughs> After two seasons. I was going to say, I live in the upper Midwest. I know exactly what that statement means. Yeah, pretty good. I'm fine. I'm pretty, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm okay. I'm okay. How are you doing today? Um, yeah, I'm all right. And I know full well, uh, you were in the hospital this morning and you just didn't tell me. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, wow. So the point then is that when we are truly repentant, when we see nothing but our own sin and misery of conscience, then the confession becomes, oh God, no man or creature can help or comfort me. Mm-hmm. So great is my misery. My affliction is not just bodily, bodily earthly affliction. So therefore you alone who are God and forever can help me. So have mercy on me. Show me Hesed. Because without your mercy, without your Hesed, all things are terrible and bitter to me. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, in unrepentance, we point our finger and accuse and condemn others because what we really want them to do is be a garbage can for our bitterness and our terror <laughs> of conscience. Right, right. And then we'll also seek out other gods to uh, appease our conscience, right? Right. Yeah, other things or, or anything that we put our fear and trust in. So, I mean, it could be alcohol, right. of course. It could be, um, you know, our work. I mean, just any kind of idolatry, our family, whatever. Right. Rather than actually just dealing with it, uh, actually letting God deal with it. Right, which is to simply, yeah. And, and this is, at least in the Psalms and the theology of Scripture, which I would argue is the theology of the whole Bible, that all we can do is confess that when given a choice— when allowed to exercise our want, our will, 
we only have one choice that we ever make, which is to turn our back on God and try and go it alone, mm -hmm. chase after false gods and so forth. Which is why we end up accusing each other and pointing the finger at each other and saying, you must do this or you must stop doing that because one, as he points out, we can't actually recognize our own sin and misery unless it is revealed to us through God's word of law. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we can't recognize that God's primary personality attributes are all gospel-focused, Christ-cross-focused, unless that too is revealed to us. Right. Yeah, this is all alien to us, foreign to us. Right. Which is why Paul says in Romans, no one seeks God and no one is righteous and all have fallen short. Again, those exclusive particles. Yeah, there is no natural knowledge of the goodness of God. Not in creation, not, yeah, not anywhere. Right. Mm -hmm. So then Luther continues with verse one, according to thy abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Luther writes, these are all words of true repentance, which magnifies and multiplies the grace of God by magnifying and multiplying sin. The apostle says in Romans 5, verse 20, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Therefore, Luther writes, the proud have no taste for grace because their sins do not yet taste bitter to them. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's um, uh, CFW Walther as well, right? Um, yes. The law in its full sternness so that the law has its full sweet, or the gospel has its full sweetness. Right. right. Yeah. And I brought this up over the weekend um, when I was visiting with some friends is that when I have preached in the past that the more sinful you recognize yourself to be, the greater the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And about six, seven years ago, I had a woman come up to me after service and say, so if I heard you right, you're saying the more I sin, the more God loves me. So why don't I just go out and just sin as much as I can today so that God will love me more? And I said, Yeah, let's see how that goes, right? Well, I said, one, good luck. <laughs> right. And two, what were you doing before church this morning? What were you doing during the sermon? And what were you doing uh, walking over to talk to me about this just now? Because we have this, we have this understanding of sin that sin is what I do. I sin, therefore I'm a sinner. Mm -hmm. Versus Paul's argument, which is, no, you sin because you are a sinner. You are a sinful tree, and therefore the fruit you produce is the fruit of sin. Mm -hmm. It's not, well, the bad fruit comes out of a good tree kind of situation, or the tree got confused and didn't produce the right fruit. Sin is who you are. It's this authority and power that has possession of you, flesh mm -hmm. and bone, sinew, ligaments, mind, heart, tongue, it's a complete slaving authority. Yeah. Yeah, right. And worse than that, we are slaves in the strong man's house. So we are not only enslaved to sin, actually it's three times worse than we imagined. One, we're a slave to sin, two we're a slave to the world, and three we're a slave to death and hell. Mm -hmm. And devil then too. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So therefore, what ends up happening is that as the law increases the trespass, so too does the gospel then abound all the more with the proclamation of God's grace in Jesus Christ. Right. And you also have the flip side to that is that if we keep, uh, if we insist upon preaching the abundant mercy of God, mm -hmm. uh, it, it does beg the question, why is God so abundantly merciful? Why would he keep, <laughs> right. why does he... Why does he describe his his uh, love and mercy in terms of or his forgiveness, really, in terms of like mm. a cup overflowing? Why would he say such a thing? 
if there weren't a need for it, <laughs> right? Uh, now, right, absolutely. It's still becoming. We still have to preach that. We still have to say, mm-hmm. no. He is. He his his grace has no end. His mercy has no end. Right. Why? Um, because it needs to have no end if we are to be saved. Yes, absolutely. And the only way that you can say too much gospel, too much grace, is if you deny that you have that much sin. The full severity. Be, of, of the full words. severity, which is why Luther says, the proud have no taste for grace. Why? Because their sins do not yet taste bitter to them. Mm-hmm. They're in denial. Yeah. Yeah. Because they refuse to look at themselves and see nothing but their own sin and misery. And so the proud actually think they're in a good relationship with God. Mm. And yet they're not because they're, they're fooling themselves. They're lying to themselves. Because as he says, when you look at yourself, all you see is sin and misery. That's all you see. You don't see anything good. Yeah. And the depth of sin and the depth of our commitment to practicing the things of this world and our the way in which the horror of death and the accusations of Satan and the tortures of hell turn us around with really nothing more than a nudge. I mean, the serpent really just gently nudges even the direction of eating the fruit. She doesn't right. need a push. Right. right. Did God really say? Yeah. Yeah. We just need a wink or a nod. Just just something to be like, oh, now? Now? Oh, okay, now. Okay. Hey, it does look we, good we don't for need, food, doesn't it? Yeah. We don't need a book that explains to us, you know, the, the 12 steps to sinning against God and his word. Yeah. It's not, uh, uh, we're never that far from it, right? Jesus says right. Uh, sin always knocks at the door. Absolutely. And, mm-hmm. and we gladly answer. <laughs> Right, but this is offensive if you have no taste for grace. Well, and I think the again the flip side of that is those who um, have critiqued. I know both you and I have heard this. Have critiqued, you know, those who preach the gospel with its full sweetness. Right, as as mm-hmm. Walter says, um, they they say, well, you, you preach so much gospel, but you need to preach more law. And you're like, mm. um, actually, it's, it could be just this that it's the, it's your pride that you mm. um, you want other people accused. You don't think you need that much gospel, right? Right. So, <laughs> or that others might. Yeah. No, I think that's a, a great point. I think it's a very important point that people need to pay attention to, which is we talked about this in the last episode about preaching to ourselves first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that even if I never preached that sermon Sunday morning, I would still prepare that sermon in such a way that I would be preaching to myself. Yeah. And when I look in the mirror of the law, all I see is my need for forgiveness. Well, there's and, also then there. That's part of the accusation is to say, you know, that the the predominantly gospel preacher, um, mm. in our in our you know in our context, yes. um, you know, often it comes from maybe a life situation that's a little less than desirable, or a background, or you know, a sure. family you know came from parents who separated, or um, you know, alcoholic, or whatever it is. And mm-hmm. uh, well, yes, of course they're going to preach the gospel in a predominant way because right. they 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 still need to hear it <laughs> um, right that that um their conscience you know con- continually comes after them their bad conscience right. right um their sin is um you know the way sin is it, it sticks around despite right. being forgiven we we hold on to it we we don't give it up and so that right. the gospel must be preached we don't we don't embrace the label sinner Hmm. as though it's discomforting to us, but rather the word saint is discomforting to us. And that's To be referred to as a saint makes us uncomfortable because we were, well, at least I was speaking for myself, when someone refers to me as a saint, I'm very uncomfortable in that clothing because I don't deserve that title. 
Mm. I'm not worthy of that title. Not even close. Haven't earned and therefore, it. No. Right. I haven't earned it. And therefore it is truly grace, unearned, unmerited favor to be told that from a preacher's mouth, to be declared that. It's kind of, it's, it's not even a black belt. It's whatever's above that. You told me what it is. I can't remember. Coral belt. Yeah. A coral belt. And like, there's like, no, <laughs> I've right. put in the, the 30,000 hours or, or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Know. No, it, it's, but to assign me and say, well, you're a sinner. Yeah. How much time do you have? It's like when someone says you're not a very good pastor. Yeah, I know. But I think I actually, I bet you, I think I'm worse than you think I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I got to live with this guy 24-7. You just get to see me a couple hours a week. Mm-hmm. So if you have time, let me make my confession to you of how bad I am as a pastor. <laughs> yeah. So that grace may abound for me, right? Right. Right. And again, it's not, well, grace lets me off the hook. That's not it at all. Mm-mm. But rather, as I said, it is, as Dr. Luther says, you know, who is truly worthy and well prepared to receive this, this supper to go to the Lord's table. And it's, you know, again, bodily fasting and preparation and so forth. That's fine as far as that goes. But really it's, he is truly worthy and well prepared who believes these words given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. That it's God's word, not how I feel about myself. Mm. That is the thing. Because we are masters of manipulating the game in our favor. And we'll either do a negative theology of glory, oh, I'm such a terrible sinner. Or we'll have that positive theology of glory. I'm such a saint. I've been trying to wrestle with um, kind of the mindset or what, you know, there's historic data, but but even just the kind of theological, you know, motivation for less frequent reception of the Lord's Supper in particular. Mm. And trying to figure out like, why would, why would you not desire to receive your forgiveness in that very, you know, God appointed, you know, Christ appointed way frequently? What what would yeah, right. what could possibly possess you to say, I just don't need that today, um, this Lord's Day, or this mm. feast day, or whatever. And um, and I think this is the answer. Is Absolutely. Th- that if you continually hear that grace of God being proclaimed very specifically in the words of institution, mm-hmm. then then your your sin is going to be multiplied. In, in a sense. Right. It doesn't make you not want the supper more. It, it, it's usually argued. It's not special. But that's the cover for, I think, your point, which is right on, is that we use that as cover. It's kind of a pious cover so that we don't have to be confronted with the fact that when we hear these words, we don't think we deserve them. Mm-hmm. Or we do think we deserve them, and therefore we should have control over mm-hmm. how frequently we receive this, how we receive this, in what way. Or that versus, we don't need them. Yes, absolutely. You know, desperately, right. even. Yeah, yeah, desperately, exactly. <laughs> Everybody thinks they have time until they're out of time. Yeah, which is the, I mean, that's essential, is that, well, Nathan gave David nine months, or God did uh, through Nathan, but, uh, you know, you don't always have nine months. That nine months was by the grace of God, just like James says in his letter, oh, you're going to go away for a year and make your fortune and come home? Who said you get tomorrow? Who said you get to make a fortune? That's Mm. all God's work, not your work. That might inform my uh, preaching of the prodigal, you know, son, is that- uh, I mean, the grace there is not only that the father receives him, um, but that he didn't die in the foreign land. Absolutely. You know, in, Absolutely. The, in the swine pit and right. was never brought home. And so yeah. I would pastorally make the same argument for those who only want the sacrament every other week or every three weeks or whatever it might be is to ask, oh, did did God speak to you specifically and guarantee that you're going to be here next Sunday? 
<laughs> Does it not bother that again? Oh, you apparently you're not aware of the depths of your depravity. So let me let me just throw a, a little shot of law your way to see how you react to it. Yeah, no, because that's what you're really trying to do is avoid the law because the law is convicting you of sin, mm. and that doesn't make you feel good about yourself, therapeutically speaking. Mm. And then the sacrament becomes a therapeutic exercise in self affirmation, right? So we diminish both gospel and law in in hundred percent, and then it only can be just this, uh, yeah, therapeutic. What do you want to say? Mm. Eh, I don't know, just something that we do. <laughs> yes, it's <laughs> almost it, pointless. It, yeah, really, it's we've always done it this way. Yeah, and yet yeah, it is ultimately pointless because we're just at root the uncomfortable truth, the unfortunate truth is we're we're there to worship ourselves. Oh, that's really sad. <laughs> Yeah, right. So well, it is the season of Lent. So <laughs> the season of repentance. You're bumming me out, man. Right? So to verse three then, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Luther writes, the difference between the true saints and the sham saints is this. The former see their transgressions and realize that they are not what they should be and want to be. Therefore, they judge themselves and are not concerned about others. The others, however, do not perceive their own wickedness. They imagine they are as they should be. They always forget about themselves and sit in judgment of the wickedness of others. They pervert this psalm and say, I perceive the sins of others, and the sins of others are always before me. This is because they have their own sins on their back, and a log in their eyes, as Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5 says. I love it when Luther does this. It's one of his uh, favorite devices. Yes, he, it is. Where he recaps the text, um, mm-hmm. but he usually doesn't, he usually just expands upon it, right? But here mm-hmm. where he inverts it and, and you know, really does, uh, actually kind of exposes the way the devil lies, right? And saying, right. what did God really say? Or, you know, God said, you know, throw yourself down. We heard this yesterday. Throw yourself mm-hmm. down and, uh, you know, he'll bear you up, right? That's what he said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> Luther, I pers- rather than I know my transgressions and my sin is before ever before me, it's I see the sins of others and the sins of others are always before me. <laughs> right. It's such a beautiful, not only exegetical device, but rhetorical device. Absolutely. Yeah. Because it really gets at it, Right. It really does. This is this is a very, this is entirely a personal confession, right? Oh, yeah, right? True saints judge themselves and are not concerned about others. The sham saints, the false saints, however, they don't pay attention to their own wickedness, as verse 1 notes, but rather they see everyone else's sins and therefore they forget about themselves and sit in judgment of the wickedness of others. And this is because their own sins, they put it on their back and they've got a log in their eye. And you think about, um, you know, especially the second table of the law and the way that Luther explains mm-hmm. it, not only in small catechism, but large catechism, is that everything is about covering your neighbor's sin, actually. Right. right. Not, not exposing their wickedness, not, not uh, you know, even adultery, you know, not, mm-hmm. not bringing them into public shame and ridicule, not um, destroying their reputation, even if they've already done that themselves through their actions or deeds, but actually covering for them, even in their yes. sin. And we're like, really? You're supposed to just like speak well of somebody, even right. though you know they're you know really a jerk. Mm, yeah, actually. Well, why would you do such a thing? Because that's actually what God does for you, right? Well, <laughs> you see, just from this little paragraph, how 
easy it is for us to run over and join team false saints. <laughs> How appealing that is to us to be on that team. Yeah. Because who doesn't prefer to judge the sins of others to their own sin? Mm. And yet, as we've talked about numerous times, referring back to St. Augustine in his confessions, those things that I recognize as being the most deplorable in my neighbor, the reason I recognize those things is because I also bear those things in my own, in my own person. That's yeah. why if I suffer from the sin of vanity, I am quick to real, recognize vanity in others. And yet if I don't suffer from the sin of pride, but you do, you'll recognize pride first, and then maybe after the fact, ask, why do you think that person's vain? Like what leads you to that conclusion? Because maybe you yourself don't suffer from that sin. Mm. That's the mirror of the law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. They pervert this psalm. That's so good. <laughs> I see everyone else's sins. They're always before me. Take care of them. Don't, but, right. no, but don't worry about me. I'm okay. I'm good. Pretty hmm. good. Pretty good. Right. Anyway. So then to verse four, kind of part B of verse four, mm-hmm. page 168 of Luther's works. So that thou art justified in thy sentence and blameless in thy judgment. And this is where, as I said to you before we went on air, this may be one of the best things for me that Luther's ever written because it gets right to the heart of everything. As Lutheran so as Luther gets. It really is as Luther, Lutheran as Luther gets. So what is this, Luther asks? Can God not be justified unless we are sinners? Or who will judge God? It is obvious that God in himself and in his nature is not judged or justified by anyone. He is the eternal, constant, essential, and never-changing justice itself, and the supreme judge of all things. But in his words and works, he is constantly resisted, opposed, judged, and condemned by self-righteous and self-satisfied men. There is a constant legal war between him and them over his words and works. To say that you are justified in your words is therefore the same as saying that your words are justified and found and acknowledged to be true. Now here, we cannot enumerate all the words that are subject to the contradiction of the proud. We shall put them all in one heap and say, All scripture and the word of God point to the suffering of Christ, as he himself declares in the last chapter of Luke, chapter 24, verses 46 and 47 that scripture contains nothing else than the promised grace and forgiveness of sin through the suffering of Christ, that whoever believes in him and none other shall be saved. This truth and Christ's suffering and faith are resisted by all those who refuse to be sinners, especially those who have just begun to live. They do not want to admit that they are sinners, and they do not sigh for Christ although God has promised in all his words that Christ should die because of sin. Hmm. That reminds me of Peter's um, rebuke of Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where he says, you know, well, no, you shouldn't die. I'll, I, I should be the one who dies, Peter says. 100%, uh, like, right. You know, and by saying that, what are you doing, Peter? You're actually, well, yes, get behind me, Satan, Jesus says. Um, <laughs> you're thinking, of, uh, you know, of yourself, which, is, you know, primarily, and your yeah. sacrifice, your gift, to God and and that's not what this that's not what I'm about Jesus says no. that's not what that's not what the scriptures are about right that's not what I was sent to do I was sent to save you not you save yourself or you give yourself for me well this is the the danger this is the temptation at this time of year 
when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, hmm. we actually think we can. <laughs> well, and, little ones, you know, right. around the neck little. or, uh, yeah, yeah, little yeah. practices, you know, right. small, accomplishable, you know, don't think too big, you know. <laughs> right, it, right. Keep things manageable, a manageable right. cross. There you go. Yeah, rather than cling to baptism, rather than recognize that the cross that we bear, as you actually just said, the cross that we're called to bear is actually our neighbor's right. cross. And it's too and it and it's too hard to bear, really. Right. For according us. According to the flesh, according to the Yes, yeah. according to the flesh. Yeah. And why would I want to? As Paul notes in Romans, who's gonna die for a righteous man, let alone an unrighteous man? <laughs> I mean, maybe you could find a few people who would die for righteous people, but how many people would voluntarily die for an unrighteous man? How many would say, hey, that guy on death row who's in there for multiple homicides, I'll die for him so he can go free. Yeah, I'll take his place. Right. right. Mm. This is why our good intentions are the most dangerous temptations to sin. When we look at something and say, well, that's a bad habit or that's just a bad decision that I made or those are, those, I didn't control my tongue when I spoke mm-hmm. or my thoughts were out of control at the time. Those are easy for us to name and say, I repent of that. Yeah. I hurt my wife. I I got angry and yelled at my kids. I didn't have time for my congregation member because I was too involved in what I was doing. Those are easy to spot and recognize. Right. But to recognize that our good intentions when it comes to serving God are are the damnable sins. Yeah, it's hard enough to confess those those obvious things that are right. Simple. Second table of the commandments type of stuff. Uh huh. But it's a lot harder to confess um, our lack of love. Hundred percent. Yeah. For, for the other, yeah. Right, we love justice. Unfortunately, as Dr. Luther just said, the capital J, justice, is God himself. Constantly resisted, opposed, judged, and condemned by by us, self-righteous and self-satisfied yes, men. Yes, self-righteous and yeah. self-satisfied men. Yeah. So we are locked in a constant legal war with God. <laughs> Over his word and his work. <laughs> yeah. We, we hear what you're saying, um, uh, but... <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. But we, we, we love that you died for us. Um, and <laughs> right. it's, it reminds me of when Caesar marched on Rome and the Senate reminded him that it's against the law to bring weapons into the city. <laughs> and Caesar said, I know that's why I'm marching on Rome with my soldiers. Right. You're going to stop. You're going to stop me. <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah. But you're breaking the law. You're, you'll destroy the, you'll destroy the Republic. He's like, no, my friend, I've come to actually restore the Republic. And this is how I'm going to do it. Oh, that's that's similar to uh, um, Jesus, you know. Um, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, right? Yes, 100%. And, and people look at it and say, well, Jesus, you got rid of all those obligations, like circumcision, for example, mm-hmm. which then ends up being a pretty big argument in the church, you know, whether they should continue to circumcise. Right. Like, did you miss miss that lesson? <laughs> I think you skipped that. <laughs> right. We're, 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 no longer, we're no longer under that obligation. Uh, we right. now have baptism. It's all gift and, uh, you know, circumcision of the heart, if you like. Right. Uh, but that's how people are. Mm-hmm. Um, Luther, again, gets very exclusive, which uh, makes us uncomfortable. The scripture mm-hmm. contains nothing else than the promised grace and forgiveness of sin through the suffering of Christ. And whoever believes in him and in, again, none other <laughs> mm-hmm. shall be shall saved. Be saved. Uh, it's like, wait a minute, you're excluded from this equation? Um, yeah, it's not an equation at all. It's, it's, it's Christ or nothing. Uh, ooh. Well, and not only it's scripture contains nothing else than the promised grace and forgiveness of sin through Christ's sufferings. Like that's all of scripture. That's yeah. the point all along. 
What? And worse yet, oh. he says, okay. this truth in Christ's suffering and faith are resisted by all those who refuse to be sinners, especially those who have just begun to live. Getting better? <laughs> That's working. right. I'll, <laughs> I'm working at it. I'm working at Thursday. it. Come on, just have some patience with me. Um, yeah, I have patience with your pride. <laughs> and this goes back to what I said and we were talking about is when people come to church, what the old Adam wants to hear is, here's how to make a better life for yourself. That's mm. the therapeutic gospel and the therapeutic use of the law, by the way. Yeah. Because that's really what it is. It is law, but it's the law as a multivitamin. Delaying the inevitable. Right. Versus the instrument of our salvation is death and resurrection. Mm -hmm. Not a better life by and by. Right. And so if, if we soft pedal the law in such a way as to say, well, it's not about death. It's actually about um, you're just kind of flawed then the gospel mm -hmm. becomes not about resurrection, but about generally improvement, right? Right. Yeah. We talked about this in Bible study that you get to a certain age, usually my widows who are in their late 80s or 90s, in my experience here, what will happen is that as people in the generation that came behind them or after them begin to die, those who are still alive begin to lament that they're alive, <laughs> that... Their husband is dead. Some of their children have died. They don't really have any family anymore. And not even enough to really justify having a funeral in a church. No. To them. What's that the point? No one's going to be, yeah, no one will be there. Uh -huh. And they pray for death and it actually hurts them to, to learn that someone younger than them died. Because they say to me, I'm ready to go. I want to be with my savior now. Yeah. Why, is, why am I still here? And as Paul points out in Philippians 1, 21, uh, when he says to live as Christ, to die as gain, you're still here because there's still fruitful labor for you. In other words, you still have neighbors. Right. And as I jokingly say, God's keeping you alive so that you can make me into a better pastor. Mm -hmm. So work harder. Right. Or uh, you could say, uh, uh, there are still those who need your prayers. Right. 100%. Yeah, I mean, 100%. even even if you're homebound, physically mm -hmm. incapable of, you know, loving active service, like with your hands mm -hmm. and your feet and that kind of stuff, uh, you can still pray. And right. God promises, you know, to answer prayers, right? Right, so, absolutely. Uh, and he loves to hear your prayers. So uh, that's great. And like, right. And, and, you know, the monastic traditions kind of, you know, they got off the rails, um, but in mm -hmm. kind of in the best sense, uh, as, as Lutherans adopted this, you know, the widow's, um, would come into life of the church and that's what they would do, right? They would serve mm -hmm, the church yeah, in right. whatever way they could, um, but they would, you know, um, you know, not maybe marry, but uh, serve the church in, in prayer uh, mm -hmm. and being vigilant in mercy, you know, for their neighbor. In this area, the Roman Catholic widows do that still. They do pray they? the hours. Yeah, they have oh. a prayer chain and one person takes three to four and then she calls down the road and then the next woman takes four to five and they do that around the clock every day. Yeah, and maybe maybe not always with the right motive, but I still no. You know, I can see I can see how, um, you know, that's a positive way to steer um, what's left, right? When we talk about yes. fruitful labor, what would that, what might that look like for for the widow or for the homebound? Mm -hmm. um, because they, you know, we we are we are created to love our neighbor, as we've talked right. about, right? right? To live in love for our neighbor. Um, so maybe part of our pastoral. Uh, instruction is actually, you know, to give opportunity. And well, and <laughs> two sides of the same coin, Roman Catholic and Protestant would argue that their love is what forms their faith. It's what proves their faith mm. and their, their, their acts of love, whether it be prayer or service or 
whatever that you know shape that takes versus we would say no faith produces these works of love for our neighbor and doesn't look at itself mm-hmm. when we argue that love is proof of faith we're looking at ourself and what we're doing uh, so sometimes when somebody says oh well pastor what can i do now well, i mean mm-hmm. what's my point um you're already doing it yeah and also you're 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 pointing to yourself so there's right. a bit of self-idolatry there and in a left-handed kingdom sort of way yes absolutely Pay attention to yourself and ask yourself, take a step back and detach and and ask, do a self audit. Mm -hmm. Am I being the best husband that I can be to my wife? Am I being the best father I can be to my children, a pastor, training partner, neighbor? And in a left-handed way, in a a left-handed sort of justice, take a a sober look at yourself and say, hey, there's places to grow and improve. Mm -hmm. And that ultimately I am free to self audit because I don't have to worry whether God's going to judge me if I'm a good or a bad husband. But also hear what the scripture says. Yes. Re- regards exactly. to that audit, you know, when you consider your life right. according to the Ten Commandments, what does it say? Right. Like, exactly. Oh, yes. Um, there is no, you're not going to find righteousness. That's not what you're going to find. <laughs> no, not heavenly <laughs> righteousness, anyways. Yeah. Yeah. You might, you might I was going to say earthly righteousness is a what. What mm. do you do? What do you say? What do you think? Heavenly righteousness is a who. It's mm. Jesus. That's right. Paul very explicitly states that Jesus is our righteousness, our wisdom, our sanctification, our redemption. These are all just words that describe the person of Jesus, life, the way, the truth, all these things. But in an earthly sense, truth and life and the way and justice and wisdom, these are all things. These are all what? They're all things. Mm. But we have to hold that tension then that in a left-handed sense, yeah, better yourself for your neighbor. Make your life, your neighbor's life better. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. It's good. But in a right-handed kingdom sense, no recognize that you are 100% sinful, mm-hmm. top to bottom, front to back, all your life long, and that's all you are, and you need Jesus. So God is justified in his words and his sentence, exactly. right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So then Luther continues, therefore, anyone who will not consider himself or be considered a sinner tries to make God a liar and himself the truth. Oh, there you go. Yep. This is the most grievous sin and idolatry of all idolatries. Therefore, the apostle John says, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And again, 1 John 1, verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Ooh. Hence, the prophet says here, in order that this terrible sin of pride may not infect me, I confess that I am a sinner before thee and do no good, so that thou mightest remain in truth and prevail. And also overcome all who contend with thee, justify themselves, and judge thee in thy words. For in the end, God will prevail and gain the victory, either here by his goodness or hereafter by his severity. It will do no good to be justified before men or in our own eyes, for we must ignore this and wait with fear to learn what God thinks about it. And this brings us back to the whole matter of conscience again in verse 1. Uh, interesting quote of First uh, John 1, um, verse 8 and 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting because those find place liturgically um, in our tradition in yes. what Divine Service 1 and 2 in the Lutheran Service mm-hmm. book. Yes. Uh, in the Confession of Sin. I, I've often been struck by it, though, because um, it seems to be, you know, on at first reading that John is getting after those who... Uh, like are in the holiness movement, right? That that say they have no yeah, sin, no sin yeah. at all. Um, whereas I don't really think that's what he's getting at. He's saying, um, if you're saying that um, that 
that you are not the worst kind of sinner. I was going to say it's it's. I know I'm a sinner, but yeah, that look at that of. guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that is deception, um, and that is denial of God's word of the truth. Right, right. Because as he says, true repentance is seeing only your sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and saying with Paul, like in Romans, um, you know, mm, all have sinned and fall short of the glory. There, right. there is there's not there's no good in me. And, and therefore, it is not false piety to say, I am the chief of sinners in the way of the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. Mm-hmm. Or in the way of the hymn, chief of sinners, though yeah, I be. Exactly. That's not false piety and it's not negative theology of the cross type of stuff. Oh, look what a terrible sinner I am. Now I know I'm a Christian. But rather, when you only see yourself in relation to Jesus, in relation to the cross, and you hear, behold, the Lamb of God who dies for the sin of the world. Mm. The whole world is on you and only on you because you are fixated on the cross and on nothing else. Therefore, when the world of sin is dropped on his head and you're only focused on Jesus, that whole world of sin is you. Hmm. When you turn away from his cross and start focusing on others, then you can say, oh, yeah, he died for you. He definitely died for that. Oh, and that too over there. Well, he died for your sin. Well, I mean, yeah, of course he died for my sin too, but my sin fits in a bucket. Whereas your sin, we're going to need a U-Haul and so forth and so on. This is why someone asked me why I beat my chest three times after I received the host on Sunday morning at the Mm. altar. Yeah. And I I said, because that's what you do when you receive grace is you beat your chest and say, I'm not worthy. Yeah. And three times that's, there's historic precedent for that with, uh, you know, mea culpa, maximum culpa, right? And the, and the the Pharisee standing at the back of the synagogue. Yeah. Beat his chest. Yeah. Right. My yeah, my sin, sin, my own my sin, sin, my, my very grievous sin. sin. Yeah, right. most grievous sin. Thank you. Yeah. Which sounds a lot cooler in Latin. But. It does. <laughs> it's too bad. Maxima culpa. <laughs> yeah. But in the end, God will prevail and he will gain the victory, either here by his goodness or hereafter by his severity. Again, I go back to the example of Caesar. Caesar, Caesar sent messengers ahead and said, listen, this is the way it's going to be. So you can either get on board and we can have peace. Like when I come to Rome with my army, we can still enjoy peace. We can still maintain the empire in his present state and and we can actually make it stronger yeah this can go one of two ways Uh, you choose (laughs) right right exactly or when i walk into the gates you're all gonna die which is by the way they a lot of them fled to greece and and hid okay so they found a third option (laughs) the third option was hide under the hide under the ptolemy skirts yeah and then try and raise and try and you know find the money to raise the mercenary army to send back and retake rome Hmm. But ultimately, as we all know, Caesar was undone <laughs> by his friends and confidants and assassinated. Yeah. Whereas, well, again, very similar to Jesus in, in certain sense. But here, this is the fact, is you can either receive the grace of God and go, who am I, a terrible sinner, that you would show me this grace? And, right. she, and we just were pointed to the cross and we say, amen, amen. <laughs> or we say, well, I know I'm bad, but what about that guy? Mm. This is the child's argument. The child's argument in my house is always, I'll ask, well, why do you, why do you have to play your electronics right now? Well, you let Owen play his electronics. Oh, yes. oh it, it's yes. about justice. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> right. And, and sometimes it's more subtle. I not They won't explicitly talk about the neighbor. It's there in the background. Um, it's just, you know, I'm, I know I'm bad, but I'm not that bad. Well, how, what's your standard of reference? I mean, see, that's that's where it's more subtle. Well, your standard of reference is your neighbor. That's who you're comparing yourself to because you're not 100%. comparing yourself against God's word. 
No. Or against the example exactly. of Christ himself. Yeah. Right. Hmm. Yeah, and if you think you can run your house in the way of the gospel only, good luck. <laughs> Been there, tried that, done that. I was going to say, if, if anyone claims to be a true antinomian, I've got five kids he can take for the weekend. And we'll see how <laughs> antinomian he is by the by Sunday night. Uh, the hippie communes, I mean, they were fun. <laughs> right. Um, but they didn't last. <laughs> right. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it'll do no good to be justified before men or to ourselves. Why? We must ignore this, Luther writes. We must ignore this and wait with fear to learn what God thinks about it. Yeah, you'll find out in the end. You can deny right. it for now if you want. Um, it's not going to go well for you. Right, and as, as I say, 80% of the time you can live by the law. You can, you can have faith by the law, piety by the law, live your life by the law 80% of the time. But then, <laughs> when the crisis falls upon you, when you're overcome by sin, when death is on your heels, when the devil is tempting you, then all of a sudden, all of your justice, all of your justifications, all of your yes buts, they just fall apart. And that Luther calls this the most grievous sin and idolatry of all idolatries. This, right. This because self it's love, Christ. Self exclusion, however yeah. you want to put it. Right. Yeah. I would argue, pastorally speaking, that I have never actually excommunicated anyone in my congregation. I have simply announced to them they've excommunicated themselves through their hard heartedness, through their rejection of the truth about their sin, and their rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ, the grace of God. Right. And it, one of our. Uh, you know, if we're going to advocate for the historic lectionary or historic liturgy, I should say, it actually mm -hmm. does that. It, it, if you're going to hold to such a position, the the mm -hmm. liturgy, um, you know, it rightly examines you, and uh, you 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 can't handle the dissonance between no, you know, your own self pride or righteousness and the way that God's own word, as it's been ordered right. there, um, right. uh, exposes that, and so that. Like you said, yes, uh, absolutely. <laughs> excommunication is usually self-exclusion, and it's and it's going to be self-exclusion from not only your pastoral care, but from the life of the church as we have it. Um, right, because, exactly. Because he can't bear to hear God's word. Mm-hmm. Hundred percent, both law and gospel. All right, because it exposes exposes the lie in both ways that it's manifest. Right. Yeah. Right. So jumping forward then to verse 17 of Psalm 51, the sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Dr. Luther writes, it is as if he said, it is as if David said, everything else he despises except a heart that is humble and broken. For it ascribes honor to God and sin to itself. Such a heart gives God nothing, but only takes from him. This is also what God wants, so that he may be truly God. Hmm. For it behooves God to give, not to take. Oh, that's lovely. Mic drop, walk off the stage, lock up behind me. <laughs> I'm yeah. done. And I know you and I have talked about this, maybe not on air, but um, you know, Luther here takes that word sacrifice and turns it on its, on its head, right? Yes. It's not our sacrifice to God, but it's his sacrifice right. to us, which is gift. Ooh, that's know? so good. Yeah, so, Everything I mean, else he despises. Even even the way that we are, I mean, you say, well, I've humbled myself or I've broken my, no, you don't. <laughs> You've been humbled. You've been You've broken. Been humbled, right. Yeah. Such a heart gives God nothing, but only takes from him. <laughs> just that one sentence. If you spent the rest of your life just reading and meditating on that one sentence, it, it would kill you. It's like the, uh, 
oh, I don't remember who said it, but, uh, you know, oh, it was actually Bo Garrett's, right? About giving, giving your heart to God. And it's like, why would he want, why would he want that thing? Right. Yeah. That old rusty can. Yeah. Why would he want that thing? Right. You know, black, dead, a heart of stone. What? But, mm. but actually he's promised to take that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, right? Right. To restore faith in him. And he does that by humbling you. Right. By... Well, that's why everything God says and does is upside down and backwards to us. Mm-hmm. And this is why we are, we constantly attempt to comprehend God according to our measure mm-hmm. and our way of, of of judging things and our perspective versus ascribe honor to God and sin to itself. That's what true humble and brokenness is. That that heart that is truly humble and broken gives nothing to God, but rather only takes from Him. You see this play out again liturgically when when the. the divine service, meaning God's service for you, um, becomes right. about your praise, your prayer, your thanksgiving, right. um, which is certainly a faithful response, um, but a response, again, to what he has given you. And actually, right. then that's a fruit of what he's given you as well. Right, right. <laughs> it behooves God to give, not to take, or to quote Jesus, the Son of Man has come to serve, not to be served. You've been served. Right. And this goes back to First John about love then too. Of, mm, yeah. You know, he loved us first and that's why we love each other. And apart from it's his not, love, there is no love for one another. Exactly. He is love, capital L, love. God is love. Jesus is God. Therefore, Jesus is love. Love is a who, not a what. Therefore, also without Christ, there is no life. There's no truth. Right. Right. Um, there's no way to, to eternal dwellings, right. if you like, right. to heaven. Right. Yeah. In a, going back to what I said earlier, er, then life in an earthly sense is a what? What hmm. are you doing with your life? Versus life as a person, meaning who are you in relation to Jesus? Hmm. Who are you in relation to your life? And that's a baptismal question. Yeah. That's the only way actually to live is to live in Christ. Live with, you know, through right. baptism. Right. And incidentally, it's the only way to be human too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Apart from Christ, uh, we're not human. We're subhuman, I suppose, right? Mm-hmm. Deformed, uh, dead. Yeah, we're born. Yeah, we're born dead. This is this is the tragedy of every conception. Mm. we know we know the outcome of every attempt to to get pregnant. We know the outcome, and yet we still do it. Yeah, because God commanded it. <laughs> uh, you, yeah, you will conceive. Okay. Right. For the, for the, for the one, and this is mind boggling to me, God creates us, even though we're conceived in sin and born into sin, as the psalmist says in Psalm 51 here. So therefore he creates and births us for the singular purpose of raising us from the dead. That's our, that's his singular purpose in creating us is to bind us to Jesus's death on the cross, which is why Paul then says, this is the, you know, God chose him to to sacrifice him for us before the foundation of the world. Mm, that dying we would live. Right? right, that the entire intent of God creating is so that Jesus might redeem us. That was the point from the beginning. Right. Even before the beginning, that was the point. Right. That's That God creates to give, not to take. So yeah, he, any attempt to make our relation to God a transaction is the idolatry of all idolatries because it one denies that we are as sinful as scripture lays out for us and two that god is as gracious as he declares himself to be Hmm. so the purpose of your life or your death is that you would be receivers of his mercy exactly and only receivers of his mercy 
Mm-hmm. Such a heart gives God nothing but only takes from him. The exclusive particles that Luther throws out in this commentary. <laughs> it's like machine gun fire. It's just da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Yeah, he likes he, them. He doesn't um, hold back. No, it's true. Yeah. And, and when we speak of God, we can speak this way. When we speak of our neighbor, we generally can't. Right. <laughs> like, you always forget to take out the garbage. Well, right. actually, right. probably not. Maybe more often than not, but um, but not always. But when it comes to God, and especially in his grace and mercy, he is always merciful. It's always. Steadf- that's what that said means. It's steadfast, right. without right. fail. Right. Hmm. So this is the point then that a truly humble person is one who has been humbled. Humbled by the law, and yet humbled by the gospel as well. And humbled in order to receive, right? Right, to say, I'm of no importance whatsoever because, well, what am I bringing to the table? Sin, (laughs) resistance, rebellion, nothing that you need. Therefore, what are you offering? I'll take it. Yeah, and not only am I an empty sack, I'm actually a sack full of holes too. (laughs) Right, exactly. Was that the the trials of Hercules? Wasn't one of the trials of Hercules that he had to drink out of that pitcher that had holes or it was connected to the ocean? Because, no, there was two. There was the one where he had to drink the, the cup that was attached to the ocean and he drained the ocean. But then the other one was there was, he had to fill up a jug that had holes in it. Yeah. One of our so classically was, educated uh, listeners will properly inform us. There we one. go. Please help me remember that correctly if I'm, if I'm remembering it incorrectly, and I probably am. But nonetheless, this is the problem is that when we try and fill our sack, yeah, there's holes all over. It's moth-eaten. By taking, right? Yeah, and then our neighbor comes up underneath and holds his sack underneath our sack to get our stuff. Crumbs that fall from the table, so to speak. Right, absolutely. And they fall through his sack, and and it's just turtles all the way down. <laughs> so therefore, a little quantum physics reference for you uh-huh. guys. Yeah. But nonetheless, it is. And, and Luther's just drives home the point that David, in this psalm, is saying it is God's word alone, therefore it is Christ alone, that brings us the grace and the truth of not only God, but also the truth about ourself. And incidentally, David is somebody who has a lot to lose, stands to lose a lot right. <laughs> right. through this confession. I mean, being the Chief king. of sinners, though I be. Yeah. Christ himself died for me. Hmm. So that's it. That is the end of Dr. Luther's commentary, um, or at least what we're going to cover on Dr. Yeah. Luther's commentary on Psalm 51. Next time, we will come back and do another penitential psalm, maybe Psalm 32. That's good. We sang that yesterday. Love yep, it. I love it. Love it. So that being said, then uh, I got nothing else. You got anything else? Lovely. We're running, Happy we're running Lent. a little long, but yes, get Lented. Get your Lent on. And the best way to get Lented is to live in your baptism, go to the Lord's table, and receive the gospel. Yep. Don't take, just give. Or no, right. Raymond, that's him. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Ask not what God can do for you. No, wait, that's wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Now we're getting slapped out of here. That's right. So thank you, as always, for everything you do to support this podcast. If you have any suggestions for uh, what you would like to hear us read and comment on and have a conversation about on the podcast, we'd love that feedback. Go leave us a five-star review on uh, any platform, specifically Apple Podcasts. Good job. Thank you. And as always, we love you, and we look forward to having a conversation with you next week. Same bat channel, same bat time. Peace.